It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. In our time together today, I want to look more pointedly at the vitality and witness of the Christian church. What do we see? We see a challenge to its vitality, a challenge to its witness, a challenge to its rationality, a challenge to its very existence, a challenge to its survival. How is this challenge expressed? It is expressed in the widespread moral confusion in the public and the denial of its moral authority by its opposers. The condition has been influenced by a number of factors led by what is called postmodernism. Simply put, postmodernism is a philosophy that denies objective or absolute truth especially in matters of religion and spirituality. Objective means independent of human opinions. When confronted with a truth claim regarding the existence of God or some religious practice, postmodernism's viewpoint is exemplified in the statement, that may be true for you, but not for me. While such a response may be appropriate when discussing favorite foods or favorite artists, such a mindset is inappropriate when it is applied to reality because it confuses matters of of opinion with matters of truth. All of this moral confusion is encouraged by the secularization of common everyday life, the plurality of worldviews, and the ubiquitous impression that each new scientific advance is further evidence for the death of God. For example, the atheistic Oxford chemistry professor Peter Atkins writes, Humanity should accept that science has eliminated the justification for believing in cosmic purpose. And that survival of purpose is inspired only by sentiment. Yet Atkins offers no evidence to support his claim. In fact, today the claims of objective moral authority and understanding are openly contested by the culture more than any other aspect of Christian faith and witness. This loss of the church's authority has been going on for some time. David Martin Lloyd-Jones spoke about this loss in his 1958 book entitled Authority. He wrote, If I understand the religious situation at all, this whole question of authority is one of the most important problems confronting us. 
As such, it demands our careful study. There is no doubt that things are as they are today because we have lost our authority. As a result, the people have ceased to listen to its message. Lord Jones goes on to say that the cause was because part of the church has been trying to produce a spurious, artificial substitute. I could easily be tempted to discuss the rise of Christian liberalism, the emergent church, the New Age, and other aberrant movements and cults, but I resist that temptation. According to the Bible, man was created in God's image, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Part of that image makes man a moral being. We are moral agents who make moral choices and are able to uh, differentiate between right and wrong. The basis upon which we differentiate between right and wrong is our knowledge of God's law. And that knowledge comes from three sources, creation, conscience, and revelation. These are all addressed in the first two chapters of the book of Romans in the New Testament. Creation witnesses to the pagan-slash-secular person, in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Conscience to the moral person, in Romans 2, verses 14 through 16. Revelation in Scripture to the religious person, in Romans 2, verses 17 through 29. God gave a commandment to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He gave ten commandments to the Israelites at Sinai after the exodus from Egypt. Jesus separated the ten commandments into two categories, if not two commandments, love for God and love for neighbor. All of these represent God's revelation in his scriptures, which is simply a reflection of his own moral character. The Bible says that God wrote his law on our hearts, Romans 2 verse 15. This denotes our conscience. In other words, even without God's revelation in the commandments, we intuitively know God's law based on the fact that we were created in his image. However, due to the fall of man in Genesis 3, that that image is marred and disfigured, including our conscience in particular. So even though we know God's law through our conscience, we tend to distort it to our own advantage. That is why we need revelation. The Bible containing God's revealed moral will in his law and commandments, becomes his revelation to the followers of Christ. As such, the Bible becomes our source of morality because Christians take Jesus at his word that the Bible is the very word of God in written form. The apostles made the same claim. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Attesting to its power in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. If the Christian wants to know God's will, 
he turns to the Bible. If the Christian wants to discern right from wrong, he turns to the Bible. But what happens if the Christian doesn't turn to the Bible as his or her source for morality? Many answers could be given, but at bottom, we all tend to trust our conscience either implicitly or explicitly. The conscience can be likened to an alarm system. It warns us when we transgress our moral standard. The drawback to this tactic is that our conscience is only as good as the moral standard that informs it. If it is not the Bible, then our conscience is informed by other sources, notably by societal consensus. But what happened to the Israelites within two generations after conquering the promised land? They were doing what was right in their own eyes, but that ended up with them doing evil in the sight of God. That can be found in Judges chapter 17, verse 6. Why should the Bible be our source for morality? Because without it, and the Christ to which it points, we are like ships adrift at sea with no firm place to anchor our souls. Jesus said, Whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. That's in Matthew 7 verses 24 through 29. The ability to reason is part of the image of God in man. That makes man a reasoning being who can make arguments in favor of right over wrong. But this can be resisted still. In his book, Why Good Arguments Often Fail, James W. Sire writes, In the 1950s, the most persistent objection to the Christian faith was that it simply was not true. This was expressed in a variety of ways. Jesus was not resurrected. The stories about this are myths or legends. If he lived at all, he died and stayed dead. What God wants of us if there even is a God, is to live a good life. It is not true that we must acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In short, what was being said is that belief in Christ was irrational. Indeed, Richard Dawkins and Sigmund Freud have called it delusional. Even now, the atheists are still blasting theism for its irrationality. 
And they reproach theists for their beliefs, simply saying that the theist's argument for God's existence, for creation, miracles, the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, and the authority and reliability of Scripture. All these theistic arguments are simply not credible. The new atheists say that since we can't observe God through a microscope or telescope, faith is silly at best and dangerous at worst. If no evidence is given for their assertion that theism is irrational, then that claim merely reveals the atheist's biased viewpoint. Their claim does not give actual reasons for evaluating theism as good or bad, and as such it shows atheism is not factual. But here is the clincher. Even if the atheists are content with their presumption that theism is irrational, that presumption still does not suffice as justification for atheism as a worldview. I am not questioning the intellect of the new atheist, nor the rhetorical skills of those who have authored books. But my experience with atheistic arguments is that they will do anything to win an argument or to browbeat you into submission to their point of view. They will offer an unsupported, far-fetched conclusion, misrepresent their opponent's argument, in other words, sneak in a straw man argument, attack their opponent's character or, or intelligence, etc., all the while hoping that you will not catch on to their subterfuge. Allow me to give an example. In episode 77, I gave Richard Dawkins' famous quote from The God Delusion. Let me repeat it so we can analyze it. Dawkins says, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character of all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. That's found on page 31 of his book, The God Delusion. In boxing parlance, this is a low blow. But a little analysis reveals its fallacies and weaknesses. There is at least one fallacy in this statement by Dawkins. Let me challenge you in the audience to think about what that fallacy really is. Let me leave this discussion for the time being so we, you can think about this fallacy promoted by Dawkins. I will return to this idea in the next episode. In the meantime, exercise daily, walk with God.
Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.